Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 28 and hopefully trying to finish the chapter. We'll see how that goes. You know, this is probably the most loved promise in all of Scripture. It is a verse that has been an anchor to so many. It's been a foundation and something that is an important part of so many believers' lives. And we know it very well. And let's go ahead and read verses 28 through 30. And then we'll go ahead and talk about it some. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There is so much in these verses that there is literally chapters in commentaries that I've, I've been going through and reading. It is rich. This is one of the gems of all of Scripture and a powerful truth that we need to grasp. There are a few differences in translations, and I want to bring this out in case you are having a different translation and wondering, well, what is the difference? In the Revised Standard and the King James, it says, all things work together for good, whereas the American Standard says, God causes all things to work together for good. Or the NIV, it says, in all things, God works for the good. It doesn't matter whether the subject verb is God or the verb is all things working together. The, the outcome is the same. And it's good to know that it doesn't matter what translation you have. It's saying the same thing. It's saying that God is working and he is working in all things and he is working in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And it's important to recognize that if you're wondering, well, mine reads a little bit different, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the subject or what is being said at all. It's important to recognize the context of this verse. You know, another favorite verse by many is Jeremiah 29, 11, that you guys might be familiar with. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And a lot of people grab hold of those verses and may forget that the context of that verse, that Jeremiah is declaring this to the nation of Israel, is that they are captive in Babylon. And he tells them, Get comfortable. Have children. Let your children have children. Because you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. That's the context that he says, but don't worry. God hasn't forgotten you. He has plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. But it's going to be done in captivity. And you might not see it, Depends how old you are, because for 70 years, if you're my age, 70 years, yeah, forget it. You know, I don't know if I'm going to make it past that time. But God is saying, I haven't forgotten you. I have plans for you. Trust that in the middle of the captivity. 
Trust those plans in the midst of where you are at. And the same thing is true of Romans 8.28, for we know. And let's stop there, because we have to ask ourselves, do we know? And this is really in contrast to what we talked about last week and Sunday, the things that we don't know. We don't know how to pray as we should, or what to pray for as we should. There's limitations to what we know. And we don't know what to pray many times as we should. And so the Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groanings that can't be uttered. And he who knows the mind of the Spirit hears those things, and they're always according to his will. Well, we don't know what to pray for, but we do know this. That God is working in all things. And the context of this, it's interesting, it's sandwiched between Romans 8.18, I consider our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed with us, or within us. And also verses 35 and 36, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And in, sandwiched in between these verses is Romans 8.28. Just to give us a little context. Suffering. We're talking about the church that is there in Rome that is going through hard times, that is suffering and going through hardship. And in between... We know that the sufferings of this present time can't be worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us and the famine, persecution, nakedness, danger, sword, being like lambs to the slaughter. In between these verses is, we know. God is working all things for the good. Do we know that? Because I tell you, there are times when I doubt. How about you? Well, I know some things, God, you're working out to the good, but all things? What about this man who who's, might lose his job? What about this man who has cancer? What about this other situation where I know uh, another gentleman here at church is in court over custody for his children, wonder if he's going to be able to see his kids. And, you know, courts usually favor the moms. All things, God? What about those things? What about those times? Well, remember the context. This is in the middle of suffering. And the reason this promise is so important because it holds us through these times of difficulty. I haven't been forgotten. God didn't say, oh, Sam, that's right. I, I was supposed to take care of you. Uh, sorry about that now that you're living in the streets and in the gutter and you know, you're sickly and all that. Uh, my mistake. It, it, it's promising us that God hasn't forgotten us. And in every situation, through the suffering, God is doing something that is good. Which should make us think, what do we consider good? God is working these things for the good. 
what do we consider good and what does God consider good? The scriptures tell us that every son who the Lord receives, he chastens. So we know sometimes it's good to be chastened. Sometimes affliction is good. Psalm 119, David says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might know your statutes. One of those verses that make you, <laughs> do I know him already, Lord, or am I going to get afflicted? Is it good where I'm at? And if not, what does God need to work in me and through me? And there are a number of examples that we can see where God has worked. And I'm going to touch on this more Sunday, but I'll just speak about them briefly. Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers. Spent time in prison, got out, then went back in. 17 years of his life until he was finally exalted to a place next to Pharaoh where he ended up saving the very brothers who put him in that situation. And he said, you meant it evil, but God meant it for good. Not God allowed it. God meant it for good. The very brothers who put him into slavery, he ends up slaving. I mean, saving. God works all things for the good. Esther, you ladies are going through that right now. A young teenage girl, beautiful, virgin thrown into the harem of this pagan king. Not a good situation. It's not like, oh, she's a queen. <laughs> no, this, this isn't. She's one of many. As a teenager, take it from her home, given to be this king's toy. And in that situation, the opportunity to step in on behalf of the nation, Maybe you've been placed here for such a time as this. And God works even in her life to bring about the good of the nation. Jesus went to the cross, endured the suffering, the shame, for the joy set before him, which is us, our salvation. And in these three situations, God works for the good, but notice what the good is. It isn't they get better. Everything is hunky-dory for them. They still had to go through the suffering. It was good for someone else. What if the good is for a bigger purpose? What if the good is for the kingdom of God and not just your you see, it would be a tragedy if we thought God works all things out for the good and we thought that means my business is going to succeed. I'm going to get that Porsche. Finally, thank you, God. You know, <laughs> the good means I get the stuff. It would be a tragedy if our idea of the good were for our own gain. And when we see what good has been throughout scriptures, it should give us a bigger view of what it means in God's eyes for him to work all things for good. He is working for his own purposes and his good 
is the ultimate good. What is good for God is good for everybody. And it's good for you. And so when he talks about is working for the good, he's talking about the good in God's perspective. You still might have hard times. You still might be ill. Ill. Paul had that thorn in the flesh. Prayed three times. God take, didn't take it. Went through the hardship. But it is better for me that I'm here for your good. Remember we talked about that last week. I'd like to leave and go be with the Lord, which would be great, but it's better for me to stay here for your sake. The better was God's good was for the people. And so when we think of all things work together for the good, recognize we're talking about the sufferings that we go through. In the, in the middle of those sufferings, God is working something out that is for his good. And if we are on board and we're on our, his team, then it's good for everyone. You know, it's if you're playing a sport, if you're playing, say, football, you know, and you've got a quarterback who's just great, you know, pick out your favorite great quarterback, you know, Rams fan, you know, pick, I guess, I mean, Los Angeles Rams, you know, you got to go way back, you know, <laughs> Roman Gabriel, uh, you know. There's Joe Montana. I mean, you can, you know, whoever you pick, your favorite quarterback. When Terry the, Bradshaw. Okay, Terry Bradshaw. Whenever all your team wins, <laughs> who gets the glory? Well, they always interview the quarterback. Do you ever see them interviewing the center? <laughs> can anyone tell me who the center is? Who is that guy? Poor guy is on his knees in the mud the whole time. He's getting it. He's getting pounded. Gets no glory, but you know what? He's on the team. He gets the ring. He gets the bonus. He was on the championship team. And I guarantee you, if he wasn't there, that game would not go on. The good of the team is that he hikes the ball to the quarterback. Same thing with basketball. You know, you might have a star player, but you need everyone on that team. And the greater good for the team is that you do your part. And the greater good for us is to do the part that God has called us to do, to do the things that he has called us to do. And we need to recognize this, that he is working all things for the good. And then it says, for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I love what Paul is doing here because he's not also dealing with the calling, which he is going to address later on, but he's also saying those who love him. And Paul doesn't do that very much. He doesn't say those who love God. He talks about those who believe, those who have faith. But this is one of the times that he says those who love God. And he does it connecting it with, basically, we love him because he first loved us. And we love him, but we've been called by him. And now we're going to jump into foreknowledge and predestination and, you know, I'm not going to get too heavy in this because if anyone says they understand this, they just are lying or deceiving themselves. We can't understand infinite things. We can grasp hold of important truths that we need to grasp hold of, but there's no way we can understand it completely. And in verse 29, he goes on and he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he, meaning Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers, brothers being us. And so God foreknew, those who God foreknew, that means he knew them before. Before what? Well, we know from uh, Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So how's that early enough? How long ago did he knew you? He knew you before the world was created. That's when he knew about this. Okay, just, just to put it in perspective. Okay, before you can fathom, that's when he knew you. And those he foreknew, he predestined. And predestined means he predetermined. That's what it means. He determined before. Before what? Well, before the world was created, before you were born. What did he predestine? That you would be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's what we've been predestined for. It's good to know what we have been called for, to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus. That's our goal, people. That's our focus. That is what we are aiming for. If you want to know why you have become a Christian, it's to be like Jesus. If you want to know what God is trying to do in you, he's trying to make you like Jesus. This is the end result. This is what God wants in our lives. It's not to make us successful. It's not to make us better looking. It's not to make us happier. It's to make us like Jesus. That's his plan. And it's a good plan. It's something that we were designed to be. It's what we were created to be. Because of the fall, we've neglected it. It's been distant from us, but that's why we were created. To glorify God, to be like Jesus. And so he's predestined that we'd be conformed in the likeness of Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, he might be the firstborn. He's speaking of Jesus, that Jesus might be, and that word firstborn we need to recognize, it means preeminent. It is important, the one who is important. We see that used in Colossians 1.15 where we see that Jesus was the firstborn of all creation and the firstborn from among the dead. And it doesn't mean he was the first one created. It means he is preeminent over all of creation because Jesus wasn't the first one born from the dead. Lazarus was born from the dead first, right? But Jesus had preeminence from it. And it's important to recognize this. We're talking about his position, that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And that's where we come in. He paved the way for us. Now, remember, we're talking about all things working to the good. We're talking about for those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. And then we connect that to God himself knowing about us predetermining that we should be conformed into the image of Jesus, that we might be his brothers. So this is a solid foundation, and it gets even more solid. He goes on, those he predestined. He already knew about you, but those he predestined, it says that he also called. Those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. And 
all of these things are completed tense. In other words, this is a done deal. It's not you will be glorified, you're glorified. He predestined you, he called you, he justified you, he glorified you. It's the whole package. It happens like that. Now, we talked about the sanctification part. We're still waiting for the redemption of our bodies. We're still going through this thing, but God sees it as a done deal. And this is where we have to just stand back and say, I don't get it. I don't get it all. How can this all be a done deal? Well, God doesn't deal with time. There is no time. He saw before you were born, and he saw when you're glorified, and he sees it now, as if it's one moment. I can't do that. And neither can you. We can think about it. You know, we can contemplate it. We can kind of go there, and then after a certain period of time, our brain just goes, you know, blows a fuse and says, I, I can't go any further. I, I don't go that far. God says it's a done deal. And so, the one who is working all things out for the good, to those who love him who have been called, God knew about it, God predestined, God justified, God has glorified. You are in him. Now, we need to ask the questions, well, what about those who walk away? What about those who seem to be followers, seem to be called, and then they turn their back on God? What, what happens to them? Well, a couple of things. We never know really the end picture. I know people who have come to faith, have walked away and come back to faith. And then I know people who have walked away and are <coughs> still in that distant state. We are told that if they were of us, they would have remained uh, with us. But because they are not with us, they never were of us. Paul says that. How do I know if they are coming back or not? I don't know. God knows. I believe there's only one kind of life that God gives, and it's eternal life. The question is, who has it? And I don't know. And you don't know. And I have to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, does that mean it's up to me? Well, I have my role to play. Well, am I saved if I go off and you know, live a life of sin? I don't know. I sure wouldn't want to gamble with it. You? We're talking about eternity here. You want to gamble with your soul? There's a difference between a lamb that falls in the mud and a pig who lives there. Which one are we? Well, if we're a lamb, we'll fall in the mud, we'll get back up, and we'll get cleaned up. If we're a pig, we'll make our home there. And we'll say, this is where I want to live. I don't know, and you don't know, who are the ones who've got it. And we can only make decisions based on what we see. And that's why we, if we see someone who's not living in that relationship with God that they should be, we need to treat them as if they don't have that relationship. Because we don't see it. Does it mean they're going to hell? I don't know. You don't know. 
They might have 20 more years. Who knows what can happen in 20 more years? Who knows what can happen in one more minute? God can change and redirect someone's life. So let's not go where we don't know. Let's leave that for God. But let's go where we do know, and let's take what God is trying to give us here, and that is hope that is secured, that lasts, that cannot be taken away. For those who love God and those who have been called according to his purpose. Ask those questions. Do you love God? Well, you've been called to love him. And love is the response to that call. We love because he first loved us. And so, instead of worrying, well, is it once saved, always saved? Well, I believe the only salvation there is is eternal salvation. But I don't know who's got it. And I've got to work on my own. And that's where I am. I'm not worried about losing my salvation. I'm not. I'm not going to hope I wake up tomorrow and it's there. I don't have to worry about that. Jesus has given me a security in him. What I do have to worry about is how I'm living, how I am conforming to the image of Jesus. I do worry about that. I do want to represent God well. I don't want to misrepresent who my Lord is. Why? Because I love him. Because I've been called to be conformed to his image. I've been predestined. That's why I was created. And I do worry about that. I do want to work out my salvation in that regard. But I don't have to fear like, oh gosh, I hope God loves, still loves me today. You know, because I woke up and I had that bad thought. Oh no, and I got mad at my kids and I threw the cat across the floor, you know. And, oh no, now my sin, oh no, you know. Is that throwing the cat, is that a sin that, you know. And that, if God came right now, would he save me because I threw the cat? What if I was in mid-stride? Would you know? What if before? I don't have to worry about that. What I do have to worry about is, do I love God? Am I following after him with all my heart, soul, and mind? He loves me. He knew me. He predestined me. He called me. He justified me and he glorified me. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Those are the benefits. And that's how we can say all things work for the good. Because if you're already glorified, everything else is peripheral. Everything else is just waiting. I remember when I came back from China and I hadn't seen my wife, who was pregnant with the twins, in two weeks. And we landed, and we had to go through customs. But you know what? I can go through customs, because my wife's on the other side. I I'm going to get there. I can't wait to see her. So, yeah, okay, here's my passport. Yeah, you know, nothing to declare. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, whatever they did, you know, I'm, I'm okay. It's like, it's all just preliminary until I finally get to see her. The same thing here. You're glorified. Everything else is just the works until you get what you've been saved for, and that's for him. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit, the down payment that says, you belong to me. Everything else, it's just, it's small potatoes. But I lost my job, but I'm sick. I've got these things. Can't compare to the glory that's going to be revealed in you. 
And so we are waiting for that. God is working in these things. And, and Paul is going on trying to explain to us how this can be possible. He goes on in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? I love this because I get this feeling from Paul is like, what more can you say, but I've got to say more? You know, how do you say, how do you put into words what I'm trying to say? I've got to try and put it more. Because what he just said was a mouthful. He just told us all things work together for the good, for those who love God and called according to his purpose, that God foreknew us, that God predestined us, that God called us, that God justified us, that God has glorified us. I've got to tell you more. It's like, man, you've told us quite a bit. I've got to tell you more. What else can I say and get this? He goes, what shall we say in response to these things? In response to what I've just said, what more can I tell you if God is for us? Underline, for us. Because you need to know that God is for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, we know that there are people persecuting the church. We know that there's all kinds of things happening to Paul and to those who are Christians there at Rome and who are in the world today. I mean, there's probably over 160,000 Christians that are being persecuted severely for Christ. And Paul would tell them, as he's telling us, if God is for you, who really can be against you? Jesus said, don't fear him who is able to destroy your body. Fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Don't fear what man can do. You need to fear God alone. And guess what? God is for you. Who really can be against you? He's predestined you. He's called you. He's justified you. He's glorified you. What else can he say? And then he, he makes it, he brings the depth to it in a way that I think we can grasp hold of. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, there was an obstacle an obstacle that God had to overcome. And that obstacle was how much he loved his son. Would he be willing to give up his son for us? And he did. Not only was it his son, but we know from Matthew 17 that it was his son in whom he is well pleased. We know that it was his beloved son. And see, if God overcame the big obstacle, the big hurdle, the big thing, how much more will he deal with the small things? He dealt with the biggest one. He gave his only begotten son, the one he loved. If he's willing to give him, how much more is he willing to give other things, the smaller things? for us. He's trying to show us the depths of this love and what God has done for us. He's trying to express to us just how rich it is that God has given to us. Verse 33, it says, who, while being 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If God, if it is God who justifies. In other words, how can someone bring something against you when God has, the judge has already said, you're not guilty? Now, we've already seen in chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul has already painted a real clear picture that none of us deserves this, that it's by faith alone, and that while we were yet sinners in chapter 5, Christ died for us. So he already knows how wicked we are, but he has already justified us by dealing with that through his son Jesus that he gave on our behalf. So who can bring a charge against God, against those who God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. We saw in the beginning, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the idea is here is he's, he's telling us that the one who could condemn us has already justified us. The one who could condemn us has already said you're not guilty and is taking care of the price. So who can bring a charge? Who can condemn you when the one who could condemn you says you're not condemned? In verse 34, he's actually, it's believed he's quoting the Apostles' Creed that was originated in Rome, and that was, he was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead and sits on the right hand of God. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. That was the Apostles' Creed that was handed down. And Paul is giving a form of that and saying, well, he's not going to judge you in a bad way if he's already said you're not guilty and has already paid your price. And Paul is trying to express how free we have been set by Jesus, how there is nothing in this world or what this world can do to us that's worth comparing. God has working in every situation to bring about the good for those who love him, have called according to his purpose. Look at to what extent he has gone to bring you into his family. How much more is he going to give you all things? Don't be worried about being condemned. He has dealt with that in condemning his own son. And his son has died, has risen again, and he is the one who will judge. He's at the right hand of God. And what is he doing instead of judging? He is interceding for you. The one who could judge is your defense lawyer. What are you worried about? Do you see where you are in Christ Jesus? Verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, that, that's a pretty healthy list of things you might think would separate you. I mean, anyone want to add anything else to that, or does that pretty much cover the gamut? You know, that, that's pretty in-depth. And you know what? Paul knows what these things are. He went through all of these things. He suffered. He was persecuted. 
He dealt with famine. He dealt. He knows how to go without and to go with plenty. He knows what he's talking about. And he's saying, are any of these things able to separate you or me from the love that is in Christ? Anything. And he answers that in verse 37, no. You should under that line that word. Can anything separate you? The answer is no. And then he says, not only no, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. That should give you goosebumps. That should make you tremble with adoration. That should take hold of your heart and produce worship that God would go to such a length, would love you so much, how can you respond to that kind of love? And you see, this is the gospel. This is where God motivates us by changing our hearts. The psalmist cried out in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. I, I, I can't just get by with the same heart. I need a clean heart. And you have to create it in me. Deuteronomy chapter 30, it says, Circumcise my heart, O God. Change who I am. Jeremiah says he will give them a new heart. He will take out the heart that's been of stone and give a heart of flesh. How is he going to do that? By loving us to such an extent that it overwhelms us and we respond in surrender and say, I believe what you have done. I trust in what you have done. And I will live my life for you because nothing else can stand in the way of such love. What can separate us from the love of God? All things work together for the good to those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. God has set the stage for us that we would be his children. And he has done everything that needs to be done so that we can be with him. Now, I'm only going to touch on this right now, and this is going to be the heart of what I, I share Sunday morning. If we know this, if we know that nothing can separate us from God's love, if we know that all things work together for the good to 
to those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. If we know and believe these things, what could we do for the kingdom of God? In other words, what fears are keeping us from stepping out and doing what we should be doing? Nothing can separate you from his love. All things will work together for the good. Don't worry about persecution. Don't worry about famine. Don't worry about nakedness. You don't have to worry about those things. Because if you will live your life in abandonment for God, what could he do? And what this is, is a license to go for it. This is a license to live for God and not worry about what happens because God has taken care of you. You belong to him. And whatever you do for him, it is good and it is worth it. And if we had this mindset, if we had this understanding, if we were not so fearful. I, I was talking with Corrine today, or last night. It was soon. It was recently. It was, it was last night. We, we went out to dinner and we were talking. And, and we were talking about some things that we had done in the past and, and ministry-wise. And I was recalling one of the things that I had done and how I, I can't believe that you know, Xavier trusted me to do these things. And, you know, I was able to, to put on this concert and I, I don't know how much money it cost, but it cost a lot of money back then. And I went out and I put out advertisement and rented an auditorium and we did this big thing. And I just remember, you know what, I, I just, what drove me back then? I was like 25 years old and, you know, I, I just went for it. And I wasn't afraid. And looking back, I think maybe I should have been a little afraid, but I just wasn't. I just said, no, go for it. And God used that, and I, I, it just challenged me and where I'm at right now. Am I afraid? Am I afraid to take steps? Because what if it fails? Oh, no, then I'll look bad. And, and what if I you know, fail and it costs money? And oh, no, people get mad at me. What if it fails and I look stupid? Or, uh, am I afraid? Am I not moving forward because of fear? Or am I thinking, you know what? God works all things for the good to those who love him and call according to his purpose. Nothing can separate me from him. He knew about me, predestined me, called me, justified me. He's glorified me. What can man do to me? Who can bring a charge against me? If God is for me, who can be against me? Why not go for it? Why not live for him 100%? Or is something keeping me back? And I challenge you guys with that as well. And I, that's kind of the heart of what I want to share Sunday, but it, it's an important part of why I think Paul is writing all these things. Because he's talking to the church that is there in Rome, and he's telling them, guys, persecution, famine, nakedness, the sword, don't worry about it. Go for it. Live for God in spite of it. Don't let that slow you down. 
Nothing can separate you. God is for you. Who can be against you? God is going to work all things out for the good. For those who love him. And those who are called according to his purpose. These verses have always been my favorite. One time my son came up to me and he asked me, Dad, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? And I thought, ha, I'm going to impress him. And as I started reciting these verses, and it's basically nothing can separate us from the love of God, and I went through this, and as I recited to them, he just kind of sat there and went, hmm. And he wasn't impressed at all. You know, and I thought he should be because, you know, I, I just shared this profound scripture with him. You should, you should say, wow, Dad, you're amazing. That's such insightful, you know, <laughs> words there, Pastor Dad. Um, <laughs> and he said nothing like that. He, he just kind of sat there and, hmm. And I said, well, what's yours? And he says, you know what mine is? I said, what? He says, when Jesus said, whenever two or more are gathered in my name, I'm in their midst. Boy, shut me up. And he goes, because then I know he's with me. And you know what? That's what this is telling us. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm working through all things for your good, for the good. I'm for you. Who can be against you? And nothing can separate you from my love. I'm with you. And so where I took, you know, five verses to say it, he, he was able to sum it up in one. Whenever two or more gathered in my name, I'm in their midst. He says, he's with me, so that's all I need to know. And you guys, that's what we need to know, is that he's with us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, there is no way I could do justice to this passage there is no way that I can cover the depths that are in here. But Lord, it speaks for itself. Really, to have this study, I, I could have just read this passage and we could have gone home and said, wow. And Lord, we are amazed at you, your love, and what you have done and are doing and will do in and through us. Lord, that you gave your son for us. Lord, how much more will you give us all things? You are for us, God. Why would we worry about who's against us? Oh, Lord, may our heart treasure these verses. May they be a reality in our lives. And may we live our lives with the understanding that you are working things for the good, you are for us, that nothing can separate us from your love. Father, may we move forward with that confident boldness in you and to live lives that are abandoned for you, that are wholehearted, given, given to you, Lord. May we not worry and fear the circumstances, the trials, the difficulties. Lord, they're not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, Lord. May we set our eyes on you, Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. Thank you for this time, Lord. I pray your word would be rich in our hearts as we leave here. And I do pray for you.
these things in Jesus' name.